From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. Today, my guest is Elaine Sia, founder of EH Chocolatier. Elaine graduated from BU's six-year medical program in 1990, and following her residency, she established a women's health practice in Arlington, Massachusetts. After nearly a decade of being called doctor, Elaine left her career in medicine to pursue her passion for food. In 2010, she opened her own chocolate shop, which has since been celebrated as best in Boston, among a long list of other accolades. While Elaine is one of more than 86,000 alumni in Greater Boston, her unique entrepreneurial story certainly stands out, and she reflects on why she believes the hub was the right place to launch her business. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us on the Proud to Be You podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, so you are a graduate from the BU Joint College of Arts and Sciences and uh, School of Medicine program. You're a physician who now runs her own chocolate shop. What happened? I <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get there. But. Oh, it's so much more fun. Um, <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, I did actually graduate. I was a practicing physician. Um, and after a few years, I felt like I was done. Um, and I wanted to do something different. All right, um, well, we'll dive in on that. Okay. But I was reading your website, and you had an uh, interesting anecdote about things all starting with an Easy Bake Oven. Oh, my Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> so did you know growing up, you fell in love with cooking as a kid. I did. So I would say the Easy Bake Oven was um, my gateway to food. And... Um, from there, all sorts of things would happen in the afternoon after school when I was in elementary school and middle school. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that my mom and dad actually let me do it because they weren't home. I was a latchkey kid. So, you know, it would be puddings and parfaits and um, soups and things like that. And then, you know, in high school, you take home ec, which I don't think they offer that anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I have clear memories of, like, setting, like, jelly-filled muffins on fire <laughs> like in class and all sorts of on other purpose, things. On purpose or it was an accident? No, <laughs> I, it was definitely not like a flambe situation. Like, I, I mean, it turned out to be that way, but that wasn't the goal. Um, but yeah, I was really, I was really, I really liked making food. Um, my mom actually was, is an excellent cook. And she, despite being um, an immigrant from China, was actually really good at making New York, uh, classic New York cheesecake. Mm. So... Uh, when I was in high school, I would actually uh, take it to school and sell slices of it at lunch. Um, <laughs> Just for a little and, extra pocket cash? You know, it was funny. I don't even know what it was that I was doing. I just felt like my mom's cheesecake was, like, amazing, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't believe that no one else had ever had it. It never occurred to me to give it away for free because I felt like she, like, worked at making it, so she should be paid for it. And my parents just kind of went along again. I don't know what my parents were thinking <laughs> now that I think back. So you, did you grow up in this area? Where are you from I originally? I grew up on Long Island. Okay. Yeah. And then so how did you end up at BU? I mean, you've got this love of uh, cooking and food, but yeah. obviously you had other intentions when you came to BU. You started immediately in the six-year medical program, right? I did. I um, So I come from a very traditional Chinese family. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm the youngest of four. And I would say, although my mom uh, is an amazing cook, and that's what we grew up with, 
uh, cooking was not considered something that you would seek out as an occupation. I mean, it wasn't even a discussion. Um, you know, our choices were limited to uh, professionals, you know, jobs. So basically medicine, law, engineering. My dad's a mechanical engineer. Um, and so my, my oldest sister is a, a hand surgeon. Um, my second oldest sister is a lawyer, uh, although she's retired now. Um, my brother is a professor in emergency medicine, and he's a paramedic. So, um, so that just kind of was the path that we were expected to take. And we're, I think we're a very efficient family. My, my oldest sister did the six-year medical program through Albany, mm-hmm. um, so the RPI Albany program. So when I was looking at programs, it just was very natural that I would only be looking at six-year programs. Um, you know, we were in the New England area. I looked at several of them. BU was the one that uh, was the most appealing to me because my second oldest sister, Shang, uh, was is still living here, but was living in Cambridgeport at the time and working. And she and I are very close, so it made sense for me to come to to BU. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you get to campus, and let's talk about the experience you had here. Um, I'm curious to know, sort of, outside of of classes, what your experience was like. Where were you living? What What do you remember about <laughs> campus at that time? Where were you oh hanging out? God. Where were you eating? We were talking earlier about um, the Chinese place yeah. around the corner. Yeah. So I, um, it was great because I parked in the garage of Warren Towers, and yeah. that's that, that was the only time I lived on the dorms because okay. I moved by my second yard, moved out to an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lived in Warren Towers. That was crowded. Um, <laughs> and let's see. So out. So you know, at the time, I don't know if they do it now, but you are kind of um, your your hallmates are a combination of of the accelerated six year medical program. You know. Um, girls, as well as pre-med, um, at least on my floor. I was, on mm-hmm. the, I was at 6A. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than going to classes and studying a lot, um, you know, the things I remembered at least about being an undergrad, um, well, we talked about Burger King, which is now no longer there, but that was, I, I rem- there were a lot of fire alarms, it seemed, <laughs> especially around finals, which I could never understand that yeah. whole concept. I, I People were saying, well, like if you pull the smoke alarm, maybe they won't, maybe you won't have to take your final tomorrow. And I always thought, that's crazy. So we would all, and then of course you couldn't take the elevator, so you'd have to like traipse all the way down. I felt terrible for the people up on the upper floors. Um, so then you go to Burger King. Um, <laughs> but like Mel's, Mel's Deli used to be there. That's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. The Four Brothers. Oh my God, that was like the introduction to the Philadelphia cheesesteak bomb. Uh, it was like, I don't know, I must have gained like 30 pounds <laughs> my, my first year here. It was amazing. Um, what other things would we do? Oh, you know, our class, um, we played intramural volleyball, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over at Sargent. I don't know if they still do that over there. Yeah, there's still a gym there, but yeah. I don't, uh, the intramurals happen over, there's a, a newer facility called the Fitness and Recreation Center. Where yeah, so that was a lot of fun. That was probably the only physical activity any of us got. And um, oh, and at Marsh Chapel, we would uh, actually have crazy like football games on Marsh Chapel in the winter of all things. Now that I think about it, um, so you know we sort of fit in a few things here and there. Yeah. But honestly, we were only on campus for the first two years, right? 
And then after that, we were gone. Well, and everything I've ever heard about the six-year accelerated program is just how incredibly academically intensive it is. So yeah. it's great to hear that you at least had some fond memories of fire alarms. That I'm sure <laughs> that you just mentioned something that thousands of BU alumni <laughs> have experienced in their time here. Um, so between the quote-unquote undergrad experience yeah. you had and the, the med school experience you had over on the medical campus, are yeah. there specific classes that you took or professors that you had that really stand out in your memory as having sort of an impact on you? I mean, I definitely have memories of the undergrad classes. I, I wouldn't say they were my fondest memories. It was much more enjoyable once we um, got to the clinical portion of medical school, at least for me. And that, I don't know what it is now, but you, it, was, it was the third and fourth year of medical schools when you would actually start seeing patients. And that, for me, was kind of where I, I really got lit in terms of what I really enjoyed doing. Yeah. yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about the family role in your education and um, that you you felt like there were certain accepted professions and um, maybe directions that you wouldn't normally go in. I can't help but wonder if while you were here on campus, maybe you had, did you have in the back of your mind that this path wasn't the one that you truly wanted to be on? Or were you at the time really in love with medicine and the idea of becoming a physician? I don't think at any point I would say that I had a love for wanting to be a physician. I think out of the choices I was offered from my family, that seemed the one that suited me the most. You know, I liked helping people and I, I liked interacting with people. Like I remember that in high school. Um, I, I think I didn't feel very strong uh, in the humanities and I, I think I definitely didn't want to go down the engineering route. So I think by default, medicine became my choice. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in the six-year program, you're kind of on a, a route. You know, like it's a path and it's, you know, I think it's hard to like stray off of it Um, because in some ways your classes are very specific. So if you stray off, it's a challenge to know where you would go from there with with the classes that you've taken. Um, So I would say uh, the time where I actually felt like perhaps it was not the right path for me was probably when I entered medical school, probably Mm -hmm. out of my first year. I think I'd always felt like, oh, you know, the courses that I had to take as an undergraduate were like courses I just had to take and sort of get through. And when I went to medical school, I think my expectation was that I was going to really love my medical school classes. For the most part, my first year there, I I really struggled. Um, I didn't really enjoy the classes that much. And and from an academic standpoint, it, I, I felt like I really had to work hard and I, and I wasn't excelling, which... Mm-hmm. I think for someone who came from a place where you felt like you were sort of academically quite competent, um, it was uh, it was sort of an eye opener and and um, a bit frustrating. So you, when you started medical school, you were like 20, 21, you, you 20. two years as an undergrad and then go to med school? Okay. Yeah, I was 20. So that's, that's a lot for somebody at 20 yeah. to deal with. How do you feel like you managed that? sort of, it, 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 it sounds like an imbalance, right? That you, yeah. on the one hand, you had these expectations and things weren't going quite as you had intended. So yeah. do you remember back then, like how you, how you sort of managed that? Because obviously you, you continued on and you finished. Yeah, I, um, so I would say that there was, a, there was a time during my first year of medical school where um, I had spoken to my oldest sister, who I think I mentioned mm-hmm. did this six-year program at RPI and um, and said, you know, I'm not really sure if this is a, a good idea for me. I don't know if it's a great fit, and I'm about to embark on a few years of this, and I, I just don't know. And I think she felt 
very strongly that I should stick with it. You know, that, um, you know, things can be challenging, but overall, you know, I started the program that I would finish the program and it would be okay. So I think if nothing else, um, in terms of how I managed it, I think that I'm, if nothing else, I'm very persistent mm-hmm. and I have, you know, I, I, I'm very, um, um, I'm very good at working through challenging times, even if the carrot's not right there. Yeah. Yeah. So you finish med school and then you start your residency. Yeah. Right. And what what were you doing? What sort of is that a rotational? Uh, forgive me, I don't know the answer. No, 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 no. School, it was totally fine. I mean, I the one thing I did just to sort of back up, I would say my third and fourth year um, at BU was exceptional, and you rotate through Boston City Hospital. What was Boston City Hospital? Yeah. Sad. <laughs> and University Hospital. Yeah. And I, and so you have clinical rotations of, I think, six weeks to three months of different specialties. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, that was the saving grace for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like, okay, I found my people, and I, I feel now like this is a good choice for me. And so when I graduated, I felt very clear that I wanted to stay at Boston City. Uh, the attend and internal medicine, that's what I what did my residency in. Mm-hmm. The attendings um, there were phenomenal. The house staff was exceptional. And the mission of the hospital really spoke to me. Um, so, so I did my residency there, and that's a three-year period of time. Mm-hmm. Hey, BU, a quick break here to tell you about another great resource if you're looking for ways to advance your career. BU hosts dozens of free professional development webinars each year, and in the coming weeks, we'll feature topics like The Thought Leader Formula and Bright Career Right Now. Presentations are delivered by your fellow alumni who are career experts or industry insiders eager to share insights, strategies, and best practices with the BU community. To register for an upcoming webinar, visit our website at bu.edu slash alumni slash webinars. And on the very same page, you can find our comprehensive on-demand library of previous presentations. And then what happens? I I think you end up working in kind of specializing in women's health. Yeah, so I finished. And so even though it was a great experience, I knew I didn't want to stay. And so I created a women's health program out of Mount Auburn Hospital called Arlington Women's Health. And so there was internal medicine and midwifery, OBGYN, rheumatology. There were a couple of other specialties there. And I was there for a couple of years. And then I moved on to a medical director position at the Spence Center for Women's Health. You were there for just about nine months. I was. So is that when you had sort of this epiphany moment of, <laughs> okay, I, this is not what I want to do. I don't mean to focus on what some people might see as sort of negative aspects of your career, but I, I think one of the reasons we have this podcast is because it's so interesting how people make decisions about their careers. Yeah. And there, we recently saw some statistics that, you know, the chances of a BU grad uh, who's finished their undergrad degree 10 years later, there's a 50% chance they might not be working in the field that they studied. Yeah. And so these stories are fascinating, and I think it's all about making decisions and having the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. So how how did that all shake out for you? And I realize that it yeah. could be probably another hour of us talking <laughs> yeah, about exactly. it, but how do you, how do you sort um, of articulate that story? Well, I think, um, you know, I think once I went into practice, um, and 
you know, became an attending versus being a, a resident. Um, so the 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 level or the in my feeling, I felt like it was sort of a burden of responsibility. It was quite heavy, and I my hats off to all of my friends and colleagues and anybody else who practices medicine because um, I admire them. I I really felt like for me. Um, it was a bit soul crushing. Yeah. Um, I, um, you know, I had a lot of people who were well who were worried. Mm-hmm. I had a percentage of people who were very ill, and I had a hard time kind of managing the hypervigilance part of not wanting to miss anything. But then, with sort of like somewhat of the tedium of everyday type of work, and I and this was many years ago. I don't honestly, I can't even speak to what it's like having to have electronic medical records to have to deal with at this point or insurances it's it's i'm sure it's even more um tedious now than it was when i was practicing medicine so when i went out to practice medicine i think um i began to realize that the thoughts i had as more of a freshman or second year in medical school were actually still there and really the thing that kind of made it better was it was the people that i was with Mm -hmm. Um, but then once I kind of left that situation and I was kind of on my own for the most part, you know, my doubts returned. And so for me, I tried doing the more classic switch, which is I, I tried to do less and less clinical work and tried to do more um, administrative executive work. Um, and that was partly when I moved over to the Spence Center. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was able to decrease my clinical by half and do more administrative by half. and. You know, it was kind of at that moment that the Spence Center also <laughs> kind of went down the tubes. And so they ended up being purchased by partners, mm-hmm. or at least absorbed by partners. And my role really was to help with that kind of merge um, with partners, after which I felt like I was kind of done. Mm-hmm. So, so was there like a morning where you woke up and said, screw this, I'm going to cooking school? <laughs> well, I would say the crying when I went to work yeah. every morning. Yep for a few months was probably a telltale sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a long time. It was a very long time. I mean, I think I think there's no for me there's no benefit in kind of going back and saying what if. Yeah. Um because you know, I I had a lot of life experiences. I made great friends and really the work that we did at Boston City um I I felt like was meaningful work. So I I I definitely don't have any regrets of that time that I spent there. Yeah. Um so, but in terms of, um, you know, so basically what I did was I, um, I left clinical medicine, although I did do a little moonlighting for a few months, um, and then moved more towards um, consulting work in healthcare. At the same time, during this time when I was practicing medicine, the way I would relieve my stress was to cook. Yeah. And so I thought, why don't I take some cooking classes? And... Ultimately, I ended up going to um, the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts mm-hmm. and thinking that I would uh, I would just go because it was something to do. I would really sort of in- enjoyed, but it was interesting. I enjoyed savory cooking. I was really not a baker. Mm. I wasn't um, a dessert person at all. I mean, I like eating desserts, but I wasn't someone who kind of that that's the direction I would go in. And it just turned out that at that program, there was just an exceptional pastry um, professor there who really just encouraged me mm-hmm. to, she's like, you know, you really have a hand for it. And I think you really have the disposition and the, and the patience for it. I really do think that that's where, that's where you should go. 
so that's where I went. And then you went to chocolate school. Well, <laughs> so that's... <laughs> that's what it's called. Maybe it was it more of a dessert No, baking? so basically, Ecole Chocolat is a... Um, it's based in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. It is... It is, interestingly, an online program. Oh. Uh, it is, was the first time I'd ever taken an online Even course. Yeah. Oh, so wow, I, cool. so so basically what happened was I, I did my culinary program. Uh, I graduated with a professional chef's degree in 99. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a private dessert business while I did healthcare consulting. I had my twins in 2002 decided to stop doing the dessert business and just focused on my kids mm-hmm. as well as on my um, healthcare consulting. And then, um, you know, and I would do some food-related things uh, over the years. And then basically it was like 2009, 2010 when I kind of cut the cord. Mm-hmm. So in 2010, basically, I, I stopped doing anything in medicine. Right, okay. Yeah. And that's roughly when you launched your business. So that that's what yeah. I'm hoping to hear more about is the process of deciding you're going to do this as, yeah. as your main gig, and I know you uh, have a partner in crime. I do, Catherine yeah. Sweeney. Yeah. She's amazing. So you met uh, working on some side dessert projects, yes. is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Catherine basically came into my life just as I was finishing culinary school, and uh, we have a mutual friend who wanted us, um, sort of like, we had never met each other. She asked me to make a, a, her wedding cake, and... I said, okay, even though they don't teach you that in culinary school. And then after I said, okay, like a couple months later, she's like, okay, and then my good friend, Catherine Sweeney, is going to help you. And I said, that's great. So she's made wedding cakes, right? She's a baker. And she's like, no. She's like, (laughs) doesn't make wedding cakes. And I thought, what? (laughs) And so ultimately, we ended up... um, I love this. So basically, she's like, okay, so first you're going to make the cake. Okay, then I'm going to give you someone else who also doesn't know how to make wedding cakes. Oh, and then I would like you to make this, like, multi-tiered cake with, um, like, uh, cascading edible seashells coming off of it, like this picture from Cape Cod Wedding. Oh, and then um, did I mention that we were getting married on Martha's Vineyard? in the summer and we we're like she kept like adding these things on and I at that point Catherine and I sort of had met and chatted and she was like what's happening I was like I don't know <laughs> so ultimately we ended up making this cake it was it went well obviously and we became very good friends over that and so you know from basically to uh, 1999 to 2010 Catherine was kind of like my food person in crime she's actually was over at Harvard University in their admissions and financial aid uh, department and so I would drag her. I'd be like, "Okay, I promise to do this. Can you come help me?" And she'd be like, "Sure." I'd be like, "Okay, it's Christmas time. Let's make treats." And she'd be like, "Sure." So she had always been very up for doing things with me, food related. Um, and so she actually had an opportunity to take early retirement mm-hmm. in 2009, 2010. And at that point, for me, you know, the healthcare consulting was really just something that I did. Um, nothing that I really loved. It wasn't overly stressful, but it really was sort of like a soul suck. And at that point, my kids were sort of old enough that I felt like it was a good opportunity to just stop doing anything. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I always thought, well, maybe I'll go back to practicing medicine. Um, And then at that point, I think I even had, at that point, had to renew my 
I had to take the boards again, and I thought, okay, I'm not gonna take the <laughs> boards again, so I'm never practicing medicine again. So that, you know, that actually was the point where I was like, okay, I'm done. So I, I can only assume that having a passion for desserts, for food of any mm-hmm. kind, uh, is maybe 20% of of starting a food-based business in the Boston area. What can you tell yeah. us about people who have that passion, but what they might not know about starting a business? And, and if you could tell us about those first few years of, oh. of opening a brick and mortar uh, and, and all of those lessons that you've learned in doing that. Well, I think when we started in 2010, I feel like at that point, Boston had become a place that was much more open to artisanal type foods. I think mm. I think probably a few years before then, I don't think our business would have been as successful. I think people were, they just, their palates or their interests in food just wasn't uh, as it is today. I mean, right now, Boston is, I mean, it's huge, you know, in terms of food, everything's food. It might be because I'm a little skewed because that's, that's, I'm in the business, but it just seems like food is a big part of Boston now. And it, it wasn't so much. Definitely wasn't when I was in school here. Definitely wasn't in the 90s as much. But, I, you know, like by the time we started our business in 2010, it felt like it was a great time to actually introduce different, you know, chocolate than what people were used to here. Um, and, you know, in terms of starting the business, I, you're right, I think the chocolate um, or whatever the food item is that people are producing is a it's an important part of their business because if it's, you know, it has to be, it has to be good or else right. people won't buy it. But it is, you know, in terms of the business itself, it's, it is actually a, a surprisingly small percentage of the business. Mm-hmm. So what were the, the things you didn't know then that you know now about owning your own business, being an entrepreneur? It's a lot of hard work. I think that people have, when they think to start a food business, there is this romance of making something that you love, you know, like, oh, it's my passion and this is great and I want to share my passion with all these people and they're going to love it. And, you know, there is this like, oh, if I build it, they'll come. Um, and I'd say maybe they'll come, but it's surprising how much you have to actually market your product and how new is kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. That I feel like has been the hardest part for us. Like, I feel like we make a really a really good product right. and the thing that we always have to do is we always have to think of new products which you know when you're excited about something and you want to create something new it's really easy um, but if you have to create because uh, you have to catch someone's attention um, it's much harder um, and then you're kind of feeling like the piece that you're working on just isn't sp- it just isn't really kind of working for you. So it's twice as hard. And um, so so there's that part where, I mean, at least for, for the business that we do, um, you know, we have a set um, kind of like perennial collection. But then every holiday, we have our holiday collection. But then every year for that holiday, we have to then create something new. So it's it's challenging to continue with a consistently excellent product if your menu continues to broaden like that. And so, you know, of course, when you talk to business people, they're like, well, you would look at your numbers and then you would see what's not selling so well and then you would take those away and then blah, blah, blah. 
And I have to say, I mean, I'm, I don't have a business background, but I do actually have some common sense. And so we do run our numbers. And the first several years, Catherine and I would sit there, I'd have my sheet, and I'd be like, okay, the chocolate shoes, just not really selling. And she would just look at me. She's like, yeah. I was like, yep. So I think we're going to have to just let that one go. And she's like, what? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I know. She's like, how, how could they not like the chocolate chew? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, they're just not interested. And she's like, you're like I, I think we should wait another year. I go, okay, we'll wait another year. The second year we go around, I'd be like, okay, the chocolate chew, still kind of at the bottom of the list. And she's like, no, 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 no. They just need a little more time. So I would say from a business standpoint, perhaps we don't always function as mm-hmm. like efficiently as mm-hmm. we should, but we're, we're kind of, it's like your children in some ways when you make these things. You're like... People always ask us, like, what's your favorite one? And we're like, that's like asking, which is my favorite kid? Yeah. Like, we love them all, and it's hard to pick them out. So so for me, that's, like, sort of the, some of the harder parts. And, and then there's just the regular stuff that no one really sees. Like, I do the dishes. I take the garbage out. I have to, you know, I have to make sure that if the mailman doesn't come pick up our post— I can't tell you how many times Catherine and I literally, on our last day of shipping for the holidays, Christmas time, you will find us schlepping all these boxes down to South Station. If anybody wants to know, South Station stays open 24 hours a day, and um, they're super nice down there. And even at, like, midnight, they're super nice down there. So so we have to – we do – you kind of do everything when you're a small business like us. So I'm curious, and I can only imagine that you knew you were going to get this question. Are there parallels that you can draw between your med school experience, being a physician, and the the skills and the traits you needed to be successful there, um, and and what the parallels you make with either the, the chocolate world or being an entrepreneur? And I'll set you up. I mean, you talked so much about during your med school experience about persistence and mm-hmm. how how that how much you had to rely on that as a skill that you had. Are there other things that you that you might say are are you know not unique? Yeah, I mean, I think partly has to do with um, aside from persistence. I I think you know especially at Boston City Hospital, since it's not well funded, there was you had to do a lot of the work as the house staff, so you had to be creative. Um, you also had to work around. You have to do a lot of workarounds. You know, I don't know how it is now, but, you know, like, no transportation? Okay, I'm the transport. Oh, you know, there's, like, a puddle in, like, the tunnel? I'm like, okay, I guess I better go a little faster. So, you know, so so there's, uh, I think there's that part of it when I was training that translates very uh, easily to how we function as a, as a small food business. You know, we don't, you know, we're, we fund ourselves, you know, and so you know, like a lot of the stuff is things that we have to do. And Catherine and I are not business people and we're not um, especially trained in different things. So a lot of it is with sort of training ourselves on our own, figuring out workarounds when software is not working. I'm, believe it or not, tech support, which basically means I remind Catherine that she should turn everything off <laughs> and then wait 20 seconds and then turn everything back on. Almost works like 95% of the time. So... So I think there's that part. Um, there's there's the science part. You know, obviously, I think chocolate, candy work, th- anything in pastry baking, it's all very heavily science based. Um, sure. So that part is is quite appealing because you know if you understand the science, you can for the most part troubleshoot many of the things that you run into. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. What else is there? You know, there's the 
there's the people aspect, mm -hmm. you know, of like taking care of patients, taking care of your customer. It's a, it's a little different, but it's it's there are some similarities to that. I think people, for the most part, just want to feel like you're interested in them, you know, that you care, like you yeah. care about the experience, whether you're taking care of them as a physician, or if you are taking care of them in terms of like talking to them about the chocolates or selling them some chocolates or giving them something to sample. Um, so I think I think there's those overlaps yeah. between the two. So your business is EH Chocolatier, mm -hmm. and you're literally an award-winning chocolate shop. You've got, yeah. uh, I, I know for 2019, you won Best of Boston Chocolate Shops. That's not the first time you've won that award. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe you've gotten awards from uh, Best Chocolate in the U.S. from Food and Wine, mm -hmm. um, other awards from Yankee Magazine, the New York Times. Um, uh, you, what are some of the what do those accolades mean to you? And are there others that you're particularly proud of? Well, it's you know it's always awesome when people recognize us for our work. I mean that's, I mean partly I mean you're not really doing it for the accolades, but it is you know it is validating right. to have other people recognize you for that. Mm -hmm. Now I want to know we didn't really talk about how your family reacted to you making this pivot away from medicine and, and becoming a business person. Oh, yeah. how, how does, how, how is with things with your family? How do they feel about the change at the time and how do they feel now? Well, I think the change at the time, my, my mother was, well, yeah. So my, I think my parents were both uh, unhappy about the change. Um, I think my mother, you know, when I applied to to the culinary school, I think the question you had to answer was what inspires, what inspired you to apply to uh, culinary school? And so I talked a lot about my mom because honestly, you know, growing up, the memories that I have of the things that were the most um, heartwarming were things related to my mother's cooking, you know, um, the amount of time she spent preparing, holidays, my siblings coming home. Um, you know, just my mom's an amazing Chinese cook as well as just an amazing general cook, you know. So so she was my, she was my focus on my essay. And I, um, but I think, you know, sort of to back up a little bit, I, I, I had stopped practicing medicine for about six months before I told my parents that I had stopped practicing medicine. Um, I just couldn't, I could, just couldn't get there yet. And then finally at six months, I, I told them and I, my mom just, I think my mom dropped the phone, actually. I think she just didn't even, uh, there was a, a bit of wailing and then subsequently hearing things like, I didn't know what else to do. Like I wasn't trained for anything else. What would I do with my life? I, I like I, I could do nothing else but be a, a doctor, which I haven't, I have to say, was not very reassuring. Did you um, know you were gonna get that kind of reaction from your mom though? Yes, there was a reason why I waited six yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I felt like there would there was never a time that I felt like my parents would be okay with this. You yeah. know, because they, I yeah, I, I, I you know for them, um, you know we're in a much better place now. Mm -hmm. But back then it was a real loss of face for them. You know, mm. I think in terms of just um, what would they tell their family and relatives, um, and I think also you know they put in a lot of work. You know, they were immigrants. You know, my dad was an engineer. He worked really hard. And um, they, you know, they committed everything to their kids in terms of their education and financing it. And even though we all took loans, it was, um, it was a real, it was a real sacrifice on their part, but something that they did, like they did it gladly. So I think for them, it was like, 
what? <laughs> now, it's been a few years. They're in a much better place. And my mom actually says, oh, she gets that from my side of the family. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, my family was very successful in, like, business and food. My my dad was, like, the best tofu, you know, seller uh, in his hometown. Uh, so so I would say now they seem fine with good. it. I was hoping that would be the answer yeah. you had for me. Yeah. Well, I'm ashamed I haven't been to visit yet. Where where can people find, in addition to your store, is your, are, are your items available elsewhere? or? Yeah. I mean, we have a couple of specialty food stores that we're in, like Formaggio and mm-hmm. um, Bacos, Bricks. Yeah, those are some of the ones that carry us. And your um, shop is, is it Somerville shop, or Cambridge? No, it wasn't Somerville. We're so excited. We moved into this place in January, uh, 145 Huron Avenue in Cambridge. Is that Huron Village in Cambridge? You know, it's called Tec- technically Observatory Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yep. So, so not a, too far out of Harvard Square? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, congratulations on the new location. We the The holidays are going to be here very, mm-hmm. very soon. Uh, I, do you do online orders? If, if we we've do. got alumni who are interested in learning more, where should they, yes. where should they well, check out? Well, that was out? actually most of our business in the beginning is online. So we ship anywhere in the United States, including um, Hawaii and Alaska. And we ship at any time of the year. So uh, we can do anything um, for the holidays or for uh, other times of the year. Awesome. Thank you for being here and sharing your story. It was really interesting to talk to you. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks again to Elaine for joining us on the podcast. I really had a great time talking with her. And we were especially grateful for the chance to taste test some of her delicious creations. The holidays are coming up. And even if you can't make it over to her Cambridge shop, be sure to check out her website, ehchocolatier.com, to place an order. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.